Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, it is the Christmas season, and instead of a mere 12 days of Christmas, here at the Gospel for Life, we're going to give you the 15 days of Christmas. 15 days of 15 reasons why Jesus had to be born. And yesterday we looked at reason number 15. Jesus had to come in order to create a new race of people. Now, before we... We're not saying that it's limited to 15. No. We just only have 15 days yeah. before Christmas. <laughs> we, next, next year we'll have to do like 16 days just so we can outdo ourselves this year. But um, uh, do you want to give us... One of you guys want to give us a disclaimer that we gave yesterday on the show about people's traditions regarding Christmas? Well, I'm, let, let's acknowledge there's a lot of different Christian, uh, a lot of different traditions around Christmas, um, but just to be precise, historically, uh, and it may I, I hope this doesn't come as a shock to too many listeners that uh, we don't we don't actually know when Jesus was born. We do gasp. know that he was born. Gasp. Uh, and probably the best guess uh, because shepherds are out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night, which they would have been doing in the springtime, uh, not in the bleak midwinter. Uh, and uh, so, but that's not definitive either. The Gospels don't tell us when in, during the year Jesus was born. Uh, this, the tradition of celebrating his birth on the 25th of December came along sometime in the early centuries of the church. When the church began celebrating the life of Jesus, the great events of the gospel in a yearly cycle, from Christmas through Easter, and uh, and there's great wisdom in it. I, I, and some some churches have gotten away from it because it's not explicit in Scripture, and they they believe very strongly uh, to not observe it. Uh, but I think the church year makes a lot of sense, and yeah. we we celebrate his birth annually and remember the, his birth annually. Uh, I, I'm all for celebrating the church year rather than the hallmark year. Amen. You know, so, yes. you know, so I think that uh, we need to direct our attention to those great events in Christ's life. And that's really what we're offering people. We're offering him his life and his death. We're offering his life from the cradle to the cross. Yep. And, uh, you know, it's all important. Yep. And we're not making any comments about whether you need to put up trees or lights or wreaths or, or you know— gift giving or or big family gatherings or anything like that that to me those are the peripheral of the of the christmas season if you will what we're about here is we want to focus people's attention on the christ of christmas the christ that was born whether it was mm-hmm. in december or april or or in june we don't care yes i mean if you want to do your christmas celebration and celebrate the birth of jesus christ in june have at it yeah. um but you can what, take advantage of all the sales after Christmas that's that way. exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> what we're about is we, we know that Jesus Christ was born, and he was born for a purpose. Yes. And we want to talk about that because that is 
really not just the heart of a season, it's the heart of history. Mm-hmm. Everything in the Old Testament led up to that. Yep. Everything since then reflects back upon it and looks for his second his second coming. So we want our hearts to be um, fed and nourished by the glory of the incarnation and all that's involved with it. So right. we're not. Please don't call the station or email us complaining about you're endorsing something secular. We are endorsing the birth of Jesus Christ. That's right. Yeah. yeah. All right, so today we're looking at reason number 14 for why Jesus had to be born. Jesus had to be born in order to fulfill the Scripture. And that begs an important question. Why is that so important, that Jesus fulfilled the Scripture? Because so many times in the Gospel accounts, we find either Jesus or the apostles saying things like this. Matthew 26, 56, (coughs) but all of this has taken place that the Scriptures of the prophets prophets might be fulfilled or mark fourteen forty nine, but let the scriptures be fulfilled or luke 4 2 today this scripture has been fulfilled or john seven forty two has not the scripture said so brothers why are the authors so concerned um that jesus did in fact fulfill the scriptures I would say that we have an indication that the authors of Scripture, them being under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, understood what Jesus had said on numerous occasions when he said that the that the Old Testament points to him. He's, he said that uh, in the Gospel of John, in chapter 5, verse 39, you search the Scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. So the Scriptures bear witness about him. So it's it's important that the authors of Scripture were reflecting on that. In fact, when after his resurrection, Jesus walked with those disciples on the road to Emmaus, and, and he explained to them, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So they're just reflecting what they learned as disciples. And for a while, they were disciples, but they <laughs> but they got it. And and at, particularly after the resurrection, they reflected on the things he said, and they realized, yes, he indeed did fulfill the scriptures. Yeah. So the disciples of then were are kind of like the disciples of now. Disciples, <laughs> yeah. And then and then they got then they got it. The fact that, that the birth of Jesus fulfills Scripture uh, teaches us that um, Jesus is not God's plan B. Mm. Right. Jesus was not God's fallback when, uh, well, you know, you, 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 there's, a, there's a false way of looking at the Bible, the false way of looking at the gospel, that, uh, well, God created us and created us good, and then mm. we botched it, so God had to go to plan B. And then God called Israel to himself and gave them his holy law. But Israel was unfaithful, so then God had to go to plan B, which is Jesus. Well, no. Jesus is the plan from all eternity. Yes. And and the the birth of Jesus and and his entry into the world and his public ministry all the way through to the cross and through the cross beyond to the empty grave is all Mm -hmm. in, in fulfillment of God's word in fulfillment of the plan of God that's been in the heart of God from all eternity. And the reason the New Testament puts so much emphasis on this and says over and over again, this was done to fulfill the scripture, to show us that this is God, Jesus is God's plan and intention. Jesus is the center of of God's work from the beginning. I think that uh, one of the nicest little children's books is written by uh, Sally 
Lloyd-Jones, and she, and the title of it is The Jesus Storybook, and then every, you know, the every story whispers every his name. story whispers his name. Every story whispers his name. And this is what, this is what uh, Philip, uh, you know, he, after his first encounter with Jesus, he goes to announce, uh, he announces to Nathaniel, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Yeah. And they were looking for him. And and now they say, we have found him. Every story in the Old Testament whispered his name. The Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. That's right. And they were they were catching that. They were yeah. understanding that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think all of this reveals, I mean, why does Jesus need to um, fulfill the scriptures? I mean, we, if you step back just one half step, the reality is we have a God that desires to reveal himself. And that is a remarkable statement that God mm-hmm. is not a God that wants to be hidden. He wants to be known. And he has spoken in the world, in his creation, but he has spoken more clearly in his word. And Hebrews 1 talks about the fact that long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And what was he speaking about? What he was speaking about through the prophets was about his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And then when Jesus Christ comes in the incarnation, that's God's final word. Yes. It's the full revelation of God in human flesh. Yes. Um, and so this whole idea is that God not only speaks, but in his speech, he's a promise-making and promise-keeping God. And from the very beginning of the Word of God, God is making a promise of the coming of his Son for the salvation of his people. Well, let's, let's go to that next, because the next question was, what was the first scripture that prophesied the birth of Christ. We could all say that together. <laughs> Genesis, Genesis three fifteen. That's right. So let me let me just read it for our listeners. So uh, this is God pronouncing the curse right after the fall of Adam and Eve, and He's speaking to the serpent, and He says, "I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring." Now, isn't that fascinating? I heard this a few years ago. Uh, everywhere in Scripture where you where you read about the offspring of so and so or the offspring mm-hmm. of such and such, it's always termed, it's always coined in terms of the offspring of him or his offspring or you know, yeah. uh, it's always pointing to the man. But here, it's pointing to the woman. What's the significance of that? Well, you know, and that's the point. You know, um, in the in the Bible, we refer to the seed of somebody, the offspring of somebody. A woman doesn't have seed. Um, how could she have seed? And the only one time ever did a woman have a seed of her own, and that was by the miraculous intervention of God. Yeah. There is only one person who fits that description, and that's Mary. This is the only time the Bible ever speaks of the seed of the woman, and that's an indication of this one thing that is special. That's right. Um, and then it and then it goes on to speak of him. He. And that's the third person masculine sing, singular. He's the one who's going to crush the serpent's head, and, and the serpent is going to strike his yep. heel. And so we have this glorious victory. The, the woman's seed must suffer to win this new community, um, which we talked about last week. Uh, uh, I mean, last, last uh, time we were in the studio. So this, this coming of Christ, this birth of Christ, is the fulfillment of the oldest prophecy 
in the scripture. Mm-hmm. So what other prophecies, especially as Revelation starts to unfold from this point on, what other scriptures prophesy the birth of our Lord? Well, let me go to one, uh, Isaiah chapter 9, uh, verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. There's only one to whom that applies, and that's Jesus Christ. It's interesting. What you find in the Old Testament is that the promise starts in Genesis 3.15, and it seems a little bit almost obscure that you read that and you go, oh, was that a promise? Mm-hmm. Um, but it, yes, and, and what happens is it, it just keeps getting bigger and broader and wider and clearer yeah. and more glorious in, the, in its revelation. So with Abraham and then with David and, and then eventually through the prophets. And what it's doing is it's all talking about Jesus Christ. And what the disciples and so many Jews of the first century didn't realize was it was talking about Jesus Christ not only in his first coming but his second coming. Right. And so right. they melded the two together, and that's why there was so much confusion when Jesus came because they, they – knew a Messiah was coming, a Christ was coming, but they, they, they put them together in his first and second coming, what he was going to accomplish. He accomplished one thing in his first coming. Yep. He'll, and so the prophets are still speaking. Well, They're still speaking even, to Jesus Christ. Even right yeah. from the beginning, uh, Adam and Eve understood this. <clears throat> Eve received that promise, and you flip from Genesis 3.15, you go into the fourth chapter, and in the, in the first verse has, now Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore... Cain saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord. Or actually, it can be translated, I've gotten a man, namely the Lord. She was believing the promise. She's off by a few years, and she had the wrong son, but she's believing the promise there. Luther Luther actually interpreted it that way. Walter Kaiser, Old Testament scholar, understood that's what was being said there. I've gotten a man, even yeah. the Lord. She... The fact is, the promise was believed from the beginning. That's right. And, and as Russ said, we have the... Com- the further unfolding of that yeah. and a lot of the text that we look at at Christmas time you know um, Micah 5.2 and others all pointing to the Messiah that's coming that's right well we'll see you next time on the Gospel for Life